Welcome everyone to Breaking Big Blue, a little bi-week episode. I'm your host Jordan Ronan, ESPN, ESPN.com. Giants reporter, fresh off a 34-27 Jets victory over the Giants in really what was a double bagger at MetLife Stadium. You can't get too mad at this point about the results for the Giants because you have to be realistic on what they are. And what they are is they're not a very good team. We know that. There's a reason. I mean, yes, they were favored against the Jets. But when you're only two-and-a-half, three-point favorites against the Jets, who just lost to the Miami Dolphins, that goes to show you what everybody thinks of you. Okay? Still, season, total disaster, two-and-eight, terrible again. Giant season's over. It's mid-November. And the topic of conversation at this point is what? It's... Who do they fire? What's the future of Pat Shermer, Dave Gettleman, James Betcher? Really specifically those three guys and everyone else below them too. But, you know, that's the topic of conversation. We're going to get to that in a minute. But we're on the bye week, so I'll give you a little – we'll start with a little bye week nuggets, right? A little little notes. Today, I'm taping this on Tuesday. The Giants players will practice again a little polite practice – on Wednesday morning, and then they're off. They're all over. They go home. They go around the country. They go on vacation. Cabo, here we come. You know, a la Tony Romo, Jason Witten style. Hit up Cabo, enjoy it, and then come back next week. They get back to practicing on Monday, and they'll play the Chicago Bears on the road in their next game. In the meantime, Evan Ingram, starting tight end. Their leading receiver, probably best weapon in regards to the passing game. He's still walking around in that boot. He has that foot problem. Ingram was hopeful he'd be back for this next game against the Bears, but I don't think that's a slam dunk at this point, the fact that he's still walking around in the boot. At least that, that's what we saw today before they uh, dispersed for their bye week break. So there's a little quick update on Evan Ingram. In regards to Saquon Barkley, he says, look, He's not badly injured. I was told by a source that x-ray he had the other day after the game was not on his ankle. It was, in fact, on his shoulder, but that came out okay. His shoulder's going to be fine. There's no real concern that it's a long-term or a troublesome thing moving forward. Uh, the ankle getting better as he, as long as he's 100%? No. But what Saquon said in the Tuesday media, media availability before the bye week was that he's not getting shut down. He's going to play. He owes it to his teammates. He owes it to the team. And quite frankly, he's not that injured. He might be banged up a little bit, and everybody's banged up a little bit. But that doesn't mean he can shut it down. I mean, this is the NFL. You can't just, oh, yeah, we're going to save you for next season and shut you down for the final six games of the year with with nothing real. You know, like, guy's at 85% right now. You're going to shut him down completely? This is professional sports. So I don't think the Giants can go that route. Saquon certainly is not going to go that route. He said it's not going to happen. So there's, I know there were some people suggesting, and look, ideal world for the benefit of the franchise, yes, it would benefit Saquon Barkley to sit out and save him for the future. You know, not play him. But you get paid to play games. I mean, that goes for a lot of players. I mean, when the Giants were bad a couple of years ago and Odell Beckham, you know, was still unpaid, it would have befitted him not to play either, right? But yeah, you have to play. There's games on your schedule. You can't just throw in, completely throw in the towel and hide everybody in the NFL because your season's going poorly. In that case, the Giants wouldn't have played anybody in the last six games pretty much of the last seven years. Next topic, little nugget. There was a play. I mean, this is becoming troublesome, by the way. We're talking about DeAndre Baker. Okay. He is literally the last ranked cornerback by Pro Football Focus. I forget the number of exactly how many guys, but it's over a hundred. Hundred guys ranked. He's dead last. He's killing the Giants. Huge pass interference call against the Jets. I think it was 33 yards. Put him at the one-yard line. Demarius Thomas's big play. He trailed the play. Didn't run hard. I mean, go go watch that play. It's just staggering. 
Just staggering. Now, Pat Shermer was asked about this, and he said, yes, it's being addressed. It has been addressed. They did take action. Not going to explain to us exactly what it is. Maybe we'll find out, you know, from digging a little bit in the next couple days or next week. But, look, this is becoming problematic. And now I'm not saying DeAndre Baker can't ultimately be a player. Because, again, he's a rookie cornerback. Ideally, considering how far off he was, how potentially you hear things about him not being ready and there were questions about his work ethic coming in and just his ability to pick everything up, it would have benefited him to essentially redshirt him and not play him. And look, that's not that crazy for a first-round cornerback, especially at the end of the first round. There's been plenty of guys who have gone that route. And it probably would have benefited DeAndre Baker. But the Giants aren't in position. They don't have anybody else to put in. Just think about it for a second. They knew this before the season. They knew DeAndre Baker wasn't ready to play and just throw in and handle full-time workload. They knew he wasn't going to be able to hold up, whether it be mentally, physically, uh, technique-wise. They They started Antonio Hamilton in week one. Right? Because they knew they couldn't play DeAndre Baker. They didn't want to play him all the time. They didn't want to play Corey Ballantyne, another rookie, sixth-round rookie. They knew that you couldn't put these guys in. The breakdowns that we've seen from him, they knew this was going to happen. But they didn't have anybody else. They tried to play Antonio Hamilton. And then we saw what happened with Antonio Hamilton. That was so bad, they said, what the heck, we might as well just put Baker out there. And the end result is they don't have anyone else to put in. And the Giants are playing DeAndre Baker 16 games his rookie year when he's not ready to play. And it's been an absolute disaster, including that play against the Jets where he essentially is seen loafing and not running hard, which you just scratch your head and don't understand how the heck that happens. So now to the main topic of this podcast, because it's all everybody wants to know these days. When are they firing Pat Shermer? What about Dave Gettleman? Is he gone too? James Betcher? So let's touch on these three real quick, right? And then we'll bring in our guest. We've got Dan Graziano, former Giants beat reporter and now NFL analyst. So he's got a lot of little nuggets. He knows the organization well, so we're going to talk to him in a little bit. But let's go first, okay? One by one. Pat Shermer. People want him fired. They want him fired now. At least Giants Twitter. Fired up. Okay. Harsh. I mean, killing this guy. Now, from what I understand, and this holds for Dave Gettleman and James Betcher too, is that there's rumblings about this that they're pretty much fed up and upset with everybody. That includes Shermer. That includes Betcher. And that includes Gettleman. And then they're not happy with the job any of them have done. Now, the Giants, the way they operate, they don't like to be overreactive, right? John Mara once spoke of the Jaguars game with Tom Coughlin, was it like 2015 or whatever? They blew a lead. It was terrible. You know, uh, next thing you know, actually it was before then. It was either 13 or 14. I think it was 14. Uh they blew a late lead. It was an awful loss. The season was lost. They were bad. He got on the bus and he was thinking to himself, he wanted to fire everybody. Turns out, cooler heads prevailed. They kept Tom Coughlin another year. We saw how that worked out. Not well. Next year was a disaster too. And the Giants then moved on from there. So they're going to, I think, the idea right now is to do the same thing here. Let cooler heads prevail. See how the season plays out. Then they'll go forward from there. But at this point, they don't want to take the temperature of the room. They're not going to have John Mara speak this week. They're not going to have Steve Tisch speak this week. They're not going to have Dave Gettleman speak this week in their bye week. They don't want to take the temperature and have the temperature taken on all these guys and have it linger out there for the next six weeks. So in the meantime, they're not happy. Pat Shermer's on the ropes, and his wild card happens to be Daniel Jones. And this is why I think it's the right thing not to get rid of him now, for sure. 
it does Daniel Jones and the Giants no good if they fire Pat Shermer right now, right? Then who? They they move uh, Mike Schuler or maybe Thomas McGahee, the special teams coach, make him the interim coach. And Daniel Jones is what? Sitting there with an interim coach who's not basically committed or connected to the long-term future of the team to make moves based on him trying to win games and look decent as the interim coach. And does that really benefit Daniel Jones? And then what? Mike Shula is the number, the, his number one guy to mentor, tutor Daniel Jones. If there's one thing Pat Shermer was brought here for is because of his quarterback tutelage, right? That's what he, that's why he was hired. So to have him at least be there for Daniel Jones, keep him in the same system, not have mass changes in the middle of his first year, I think is probably the right move. Now, I'm not saying Pat Shermer's a great coach. I still have questions about him, and he shouldn't be fired at the end of the season. I think likelihood I'm probably leaning towards he's probably not the answer long term. I'm really leaning heavily towards that. Now, we'll see what happens. If Daniel Jones keeps improving, the offense starts to look good. They get the pieces back. You know, maybe it is worth rolling it back and giving him another year. You don't want to. You'd rather avoid having Daniel Jones learn a new system next year, have an upheaval. I mean, in an ideal world, you don't want to do that. Now, granted, I see the reasons they, they a lot of you think, hey, we need to do that. Same with Dave Gettleman. Again, we're going to see how this finishes out. But And he has Daniel Jones' card to play also. But. All the other moves we, we mentioned, we talked about this in depth last week with Evan Silva. They haven't been good. I mean, the Nate Solder move keeps looking worse and worse and worse. And yes, he's provided them some good picks in the draft. But on the flip side, is I mean, heck, the picks second and sixth the last two years. You better get good players in those spots. If you're not getting good players in those spots, dear Lord, where would this team be? But I do think these final six games are big for Dave Gettleman as well. I could see that one going either way. And then James Betcher, this defense hasn't been good. I think they're 26th in the league, which, to be honest with you, considering the talent, yeah, they're tied for 26th, allowing 381.7 yards per game. Considering the talent he's working with, I think that's almost a success. There's uh, one, two, three, four, five teams defensively worse than the Giants. Imagine that. I mean, their talent level is, is definitely bottom two or three. I honestly, and you watched the game the other day, and Leonard Williams played pretty well. He didn't get the sacks, and this is sort of his M.O., but the pressure was there. Guy can play. I honestly think right now, because Janaris Jenkins has been playing, not playing, been playing great. You know, he's tailed off. He's, he looks like it's caught, the age has caught up to him a little bit. He's not the cornerback he was three or four years ago. I honestly think Leonard Williams is the best player on that defense. And that's saying a lot because the Jets thought so little of him that they didn't even want to have an intention of re-signing him. That's a young, talented player. And they, their evaluation was they didn't even think it was worth re-signing. And I think that guy is the best player on the Giants defense right now. And this is really the thing that stands out to me about Betcher. You know, he they haven't been good. He hasn't been able to get it together with some of these young guys. He's been put in an impossible situation, and I almost want to absolve him, but you really you can't completely absolve him because he's responsible for what's on the field. But the part that bothers me about the whole James Betcher thing, and he's likely going to be gone. You know, there's people that this has been lingering for a while. They haven't been happy with him at the top of this organization for a while, but. I will say this. This was so predictable. Go back to when the second they decided to bring back Eli Manning. You knew, and this isn't Eli's fault. They brought him back. There was a decision. This is the higher ups' fault. The second they brought him back, you knew the team wasn't going to be good. They were going to try and force fit him. And there would be expectations for this team. And ultimately, when the expectations weren't met, which was inevitable, I we I said this we said this the I think I mentioned this on the podcast before. It was inevitable. It was so obvious that James Betcher was gonna end up being the scapegoat. So obvious. Because he had no talent on defense. Their, their, their investment into the defense is so little right now financially. 
He's going to be thrown with some young guys. They gave him some of his scraps from Arizona. And they're like, you should be better. You should be good. And now we have ex- expectations for this team because they rolled back Eli. They signed Golden Tate. You know, they, they gave him a couple veterans on defense. And all of a sudden, because they're trying to win at the same time while they're trying to rebuild. And you knew it at the time. Like, that's there's no way this is going to work ultimately. And the easy scapegoat is going to be the defensive coordinator because the defense is going to be bad. And it was always the offense that was going to supposed to be be able to hold up this team, right? And we said that from day one. Because that's where all the talent is. You got Ingram, Saquon, uh, uh, Ingram, Saquon, Sterling Shepard, Golden Tate. I mean, those are the best players on this team. Nate Solder's supposed to be one of the best players on this team. They're almost all offensively. They brought back Eli Manning at $23.2 million against the cap. So that was the unit that was supposed to hold them up and at least be decent. They didn't. And the, the Giants thought they'd be better than decent to compete for a playoff spot. And so the easy out was always going to be James Betcher. And that's where we stand. And likely, that's what's going to happen because there's going to be heads that are going to roll because they're 2-8. and eight. Then we're lucky to get the four or five wins. And there's going to be some casualties. And that's how it goes. So that's where I stand on those moves. Let's bring in now our guest for today. On to the next one. All right, we're going to bring in Dan Graziano. Now a full NFL analyst. He doesn't, he doesn't just cover, you know, the Giants like us schlubs over here. He's grown on, gotten on to bigger and better things, but he still knows the Giants organization very well and the line of thinking that comes from this ownership and management in general. So that's why we bring you in, Dan. We need this expertise because that's the calls for the coach, the general manager and the defensive coordinator are growing louder by the second here. Yeah, it's ugly, man. I mean, this is, you know, I, I, we did the um, projected draft order that came out today on, on the email, and I saw that sitting there at three, and I'm like, man, again, yeah. they're, in, they're in just a brutal cycle right now that's lasted years, and I think that's, you know, it's changed the psychology of the fan base, right? I mean, it used to be like, oh, well, this is an organization, stability, we never fire people, blah, 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 and now it's like everybody wants blood, so it's, it's yeah. crazy. Well, remember, you know, it always used to be back, to, you know, they, they start poorly or they're doing poorly, it always be like, well, yeah. remember in 07, we started out 0-2, oh, you know, <laughs> remember, in, the, that was always the fallback, that was always the crutch, but now when yeah, you're this was. far removed from it, that crutch has snapped in half, and people have thrown it in the garbage. They, they, they don't even want to see. They, they don't want to hear about 07 and eleven anymore. Like it's been too yeah. long for them. So it's rough, rough so, times. So we're sitting here. They're two and eight, right? They lose yeah. to the Jets, off who just <laughs> lost to the Dolphins. Yeah, you know the ownership. You know John Mara. You've spoken to Steve Tisch. What do you think? They're feeling right now. What do you, what do you, how, how bad is that in their eyes to lose to the Jets and be sitting at two and eight? It's the lowest of the low. I mean, cause you know, I mean, you're around that team. I mean, you know that, that, that's a, that's a rivalry that goes well beyond the field in terms of the way ownership feels about it. And they can't stand losing to the Jets. I mean, we've had people tell us throughout the years that, you know, John Merrick gets more worked up on Jets week than he does, you know, when they're playing the Cowboys or the Eagles right. or something. So, which is crazy so if you think uh, about it. Reg is crazy, but, I mean, you know, sometimes crazy carries a day. And, uh, you know, so it doesn't, like, I, I think if that had been a Week 17 game, you know, <laughs> would, right. that have been a, would that have been a disaster for Pat Shermer? Yeah, possibly. But uh, it wasn't. And, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think they're, they're at a low point. they got to sit, sit on it throughout the bye week, which is even worse. So it'll just, it'll just fester and get worse. But, you know, they, they pride themselves on taking the long view and, Part of the key here is, of course, you know, the quarterback development, and I think the uh, the decision on head coach probably gets tied to that and made at more sober times uh, in January as opposed to uh, in the wake of a Jets loss, however much that stings. Yeah, I mean, I brought that up before, is that, that Jack- Jacksonville Jaguars game, remember where, where John yeah. Mara basically said he, he got on the bus. Everybody. Yep, exactly. Yeah. He wanted to fire everyone. Like, that's, I feel like, he, after the game, the way he beelined past us, I mean, he was walking with his yeah. wife out of the stadium, and I said, "John, hey, um, you know, do, do you want to do you want to comment on on anything or the loss or the state of the team?" And he didn't. It's like he didn't even hear it. Like he saw me there. <laughs> he knew I was there, but his eyes yeah, never made contact. They went straight, <laughs> and it was as if I didn't exist. And and there was a bunch of people there as well. And then they shouted a couple yeah. other things. And next thing you know, John's gone and didn't even break stride. But can you see this organization 
just with a total total overhaul? And like, what what do you think it would take at this point? I think you'd have to be convinced that the quarterback was not on the right path, and I, and I don't think you are. I, I think you look at what uh, Daniel Jones has shown, other than you know the, the sort of very troubling fumble problem, and you yeah. think to yourself like, there's good signs here. So. If you get to the end, you think, well, this is the right infrastructure for him, for his development, for him to flourish. Pat Shermer's the guy. Dave Gettleman's the guy to continue to building a t- team around him. If that's your conclusion as Giants ownership at the end of this year, then I think you stick with the plan. And I think that's what I would expect. But I, I can't forecast how the next month and a half is going to go in terms of Daniel Jones and how they feel about you know, his progress and where he stands coming out of that. So right. that's, that's the question, and I think it's a, it's, it's a vital one. But I think I look around the league. And you know, we're asking the same questions about Adam Gase with the Jets and Freddie Kitchens with the Browns. And I think the answer is the same in a lot of places, which it's all tied to how they feel about the quarterback and the quarterback's development and progress. And if you feel like that's going well, you're more likely to stay the course. I think the difference here, and granted, that you're right, that, that was the, that's their card, right? They, they have the Daniel Jones card. And he has been the one bright spot in this really bad season. But... Pat Shermer's not in his first year as the head coach. That's the, the, that, right with the, with the team that he's with right now. So I think that's the biggest difference. Dave Gettleman's not in the first year. They rolled it back last year. They misjudged it, right? So now you're compounding all their problems now on top of everything they did last year, and the results last year were what they were. They weren't good. So how much how much do you think that adds to the situation, the fact that, okay, this is now multiple years where we're not exactly thrilled with what's going on in this organization? Yeah, just historically with the Giants, two years has not been a large enough sample size for them to make that decision, right? I mean, the Ben McAdoo thing obviously all fell apart for a lot of reasons, but, you know, the handling of the Eli Manning benching was what did him in. Like, uh, barring some kind of weird, uh, somewhat unprecedented situation like that, you know, the Giants probably revert to to their giant ways and kind of stick to, hey, continuity matters here. Yeah, well... uh, (laughs) Ironically, yeah. I, I was him. thinking about Ben McAdoo. He might be their best coach for the last five years right now. <laughs> well, because he's the only one who had a winning season. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> although it did fall apart for him really badly. I mean, that and that—that's kind yeah, of what that's kind of what we're looking for here in the last six games of the season, right? Uh, yeah, if if that happens, and it could, you know, how how ugly does it get? And and you know, see, here's the thing, though: you hire Pat Shermer. And it's not like he had some kind of stellar head coaching record, right? It's not like, you know, you hired Andy Reid, right? Or, or you, you know, Mike Tomlin became available. I mean, Pat Shermer, you were taking a chance there saying it didn't work for him the first time he's a head coach, but he's shown a lot since, and we have these qualities about him that we like, and we think he's our guy. He's the adult in the room. That was their line, the adult right. in the room. If you get rid of him now, you're saying you were wrong about him. Now, that's fine, because if you were wrong about him, the worst thing you can do is compound the problem by sticking with a mistake. But if they don't believe it was a mistake, if they feel like the roster hasn't been good enough, they're in a rebuild, they still believe the same things about him that they did, whatever it was, 20 months ago when they hired him, then they probably do stick with him. Yeah, well, that's the thing. they got a couple games coming up. they got the Bears, Packers, Eagles, Dolphins, right, and then Redskins. Those Dolphins-Redskins now turn into very big games, right? Because perception, if they lose either of those games, is not going to be good. You lose to the Dolphins at home, like that stinks, right? This is a team that supposedly was tanking. You lose to the Redskins with Dwayne Haskins as the starting quarterback, that's going to look really bad because they're they're even worse than the Dolphins, really. Uh, Yes. I I think it's – yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, you can't sit here and say, oh, it's over. Like, the rest of the season does matter. It doesn't matter in terms of the standings. They're not going anywhere. But in terms of deciding what the future of your franchise is and how you feel about the direction, you know, the next the next couple of months do matter. And I think that's you – know, the Giants have, unfortunately for them, been through this a lot lately. Yeah. We know that. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes. They're becoming experts at this uh, whether to fire and hire coaches, which is not a right. good thing, right? That's, never, that's where you don't want to be. Yeah. You don't want to be in that vicious cycle. That's how you end up being one of these bad teams, which they are. Worst team in the league since the start of 2017, which is yeah. hard to believe considering the Browns had been 0-16 and mixed in there. Yes. So we're going to play a little game, right? We want your opinion about those three guys, right? You have a choice. You get to marry, keep for now, <laughs> or dump. One of the, uh, Those three guys. You got, you got Gettleman, Shermer, James Betcher. You marry one, you keep him for long term. You get to keep one for now, at least. 
and you get to dump one. Which, which, All like, right. who's who are you dumping? Who's the first one oh, wait, wait. that you have to get rid of? Is this, is this me, or am I pretending to be John Mara? Like, that's what I got to know, because I wouldn't have hired those guys in the first place. Well, so, yeah, if you're John Mara, <laughs> you, you're dumping all of them, then. <laughs> you're, I don't know. I mean, for me, I dump them because I, I don't think Pat Shermer and Dave Gilman were the right call in the, in the first place. But Well, let's, let's be you, kidding. though. Let's be you in this yeah. situation. Let's do it both ways. Well, you first, of how you would handle Like, if you had to keep one of those three guys, which way are you going? I got to keep one out of Gettleman, Shermer, or Betcher? Yep. Got to keep one. Uh, I don't know. I, I think... <laughs> you don't want to keep any of them. I could tell. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, like, like of all of them, like, is, is Betcher the one who's gotten the worst, the rawest deal, right? Because, like, what do they give him to work with on defense? Um, you know, they hung their hat on a rookie cornerback and... Jabril Peppers being an impact guy on the level of Landon Collins. You know, a lot of stuff hasn't just sort of come to pass. Yeah. Um, so, but I don't know. I mean, it's tough to say, oh, the defensive coordinator and then, and then get rid of the other two guys. That doesn't really make a lot of sense. But uh, but you have yeah, to. I don't do. know. I'm, giving, I'm not giving you an option. I have I'm making, to. I, I'm can't, making I can't, you pick can't. one way. Oh, man. I guess you got to keep Gettleman because <laughs> you, have to, you have to like – Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones, and he picked those guys. And okay. so, I guess you have to you have to hold your nose and do that. So you're marrying Again, him long term in the meantime, back and then to that, I wouldn't have hired him. Like I would have gone outside <laughs> the organization, found a forward thinking, you know, like. But this is the Giants, right? That's how they do things. They, they, they. I had to hire one of their guys, and then Gettleman knows how their program works, and. And uh, and they count on him to administer it, so it's a it's a, just a weird situation. But um, yeah, I mean, you go back and look at who was hired around that time, like in those years that they were looking. I mean, you could, could have hired on some level. You could have had Sean McVay and Chris Ballard. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> well, at some point, there, those guys. Were, you're gonna you know, you're gonna make Giant fans they, have a heart attack when they listen to this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They already don't like you. So you're you're marrying Gettleman, keeping keeping Betcher and dumping Shermer. Yeah, just so we're on record that you've given me terrible choices. <laughs> well, that's the whole but, point. Uh, that's the whole point. Right, we can't right, give right. you all the rosy choices. So yeah. what, do you, what do you think yeah. your opinion of how you think John Mara would view that at this point? Like, which of the three would he keep, would be the most likely to be kept? I think Gettleman, because yeah. he's got the Giants' roots. So. Those other guys aren't of the Giants, right? They're yeah. like, they're, they're, he, you know, he, he grew up in the organization. He contributed to, to winning teams once upon a time, as he likes to remind people. And, uh, yeah, I think I think that would probably be the way they would look at it, too. The, the, the critique, we're back again. I mean, this is like, you know, full circle. I mean, but this is where you are with the Giants these days. You're almost stuck in uh, Groundhog's Day, right? Yes. Have we gotten to the point again where they're like, you know, like you said, they go back to their roots, they're old school, they want to be a hardcore, you know, physical team with adults in the room, culture over talent. I, have we gotten to the point where – this organization needs to modernize again. Like I remember, remember they tried it with with uh, Tom Coughlin. They were like, they made <laughs> they made him like have a timeout or like a halftime break in the middle of practice, and they were bringing in all this sports science and obviously yeah. against his will. And I, I, it kind of went backwards again. I mean, everybody needs to modernize. Like it's it's, it's crazy to think that like the rest of the league would be doing something new and innovative that's designed to help you. Um, you know, maximize your ability to score points and win games, et cetera, et cetera, and you would just sort of purposely not do it because you, you, that's not you. I, and that doesn't make any sense. So obviously you need to modern. Now, I'm not saying that, like, you know, Dave Gettleman and Pat Shermer and those guys are incapable of doing all that because obviously, you know, I mean, Pat came from the Vikings and they were doing things with, with uh, Case Keenum and they were winning, you know, like all that stuff. These guys have, have had some degree of success in, right. in the modern NFL. But, yes, I think, look, if you – Let's play it out. Let's say they lose all the rest of their games and everybody hates everybody and they decide to, to, to fire the whole building and start over. Then, yes, they should take a complete clean slate view and say, hey, we are all about doing things the giant way, but over the past three years what that has meant is that we have lost more games than any other NFL franchise. So, obviously, there's something that's not working about the giant way. Do we need to think about a new way of doing things? Yes. So in a hypothetical situation where they get to the end of this year and decide to make major sweeping changes, then everything should be on the table, and it shouldn't be like it was the last time. It shouldn't be like, oh, we need to find somebody who we, who we, who we know because he's been here and he knows. It should be what's available to us, what is the 
is the best way for us to go regardless of does it mean we bring in a coach who wants personnel control, even though that's not the way the Giants do it. Right. That's the right kind of guy for us, right? Like, let's say Belichick wants to leave, right? You know, <laughs> okay, yes, let's go do that as opposed to just our traditional structure. So, yeah. You've, you've actually done research. I think you wrote something. You've looked into it. If they decide to make those changes – What's out there for the Giants in regards to head coach, general manager? Like, what, are, what, who are, who are going to be some of these hot names out there? And then, and then there's the other thing, right? Like, that's the problem. There's like, there's going to be six or eight head coach openings, like there always are, and there are not going to be six or eight great qualified candidates because there never are, right? And that's what ends up being the problem. So, the names that are out there, that everybody loves right now. A lot of defensive guys, oddly enough, Robert Sala, the defensive coordinator from. Uh, 49ers, you know, everybody watches him jump around on the sideline on TV and thinks, oh, we want that energy. But they wanted him fired guys. last year, too, by the way. When I, was exactly. at, we, when I left that Monday night game and last year was like exactly. week nine, they were killing him sure. and the whole San Francisco 49ers defensive line. One year later now, you're telling me he's he's one of the hot yeah. names. It's crazy, he's crazy a, business. He's a guy people want to talk to. But, you know, life comes at you fast. I mean, the, the coach of the year last year was Matt Nagy. They want him fired in Chicago. So <laughs> it's uh, it's crazy. But, you know, uh, Matt Eberflus, the, the defensive coordinator in Indianapolis, he's a guy people want to talk to. Um, you know, they're, the McVeigh, is the McVeigh tree kind of, you know, picked clean? Or yeah. do you look at, like, you know, a couple of his guys, like uh, uh, Shane Waldron, who's the passing game coordinator there. Uh, down in New Orleans, Dennis Allen gets a lot of credit for the defense there. Uh, he's a former head coach of the Raiders. Um yeah, Josh McDaniels, I think, would be looking for the right opportunity somewhere. I mean, if he's a Daniel Jones fan, maybe you can you know talk to him. Um, you know, you gotta you gotta get his name on a contract to be sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that'd be a tough um, one. So that's a name that's always still going to be out there. But GM is a little bit tougher. There's just not a lot, you know. That, although if there's turnover in other places, some guys could shake loose. But you know, Nick Casario will be the hot name. But uh, there's a lot of people who think that's already kind of close to a done deal with Houston. Uh, so, right. yeah, it's, um, I mean, I don't know. It's interesting. Uh, you look at those Patriots, like if you, like, and again, we're in fantasy world, right? But if it's like, oh, McDaniels or, you know, people like that come from the Patriots. Guys who come from the Patriots, they want, like, Belichick's blessing, right? Like, on their move. Yeah. And Belichick is a huge fan of the Giants organization, right? So, like, if you're Josh McDaniels and say, hey, Bill, what about the Giants opening? Bill probably says to him, hey, yeah, if you think Daniel Jones is something you can work with, you know, I have warm feelings for that organization and that ownership group. I would, I would recommend that that is a spot for you. So, I'm just not so sure he feels that way anymore. I mean, I've heard differently about yeah, this, the past, uh, you know, the past round of uh, coaching hires when Patricia and, and McDaniel's were out there. And yeah, maybe, this isn't this isn't Wellington yeah. Mara's Giants anymore. This is a different group yeah. of, of a different uh, generation of ownership and. I'm not so sure he has those same feelings for the people that yeah. are there now. Maybe he does for the organization as a whole. Maybe. It doesn't mean that he would necessarily want to go work there or have or recommend going to work there. So, uh, one one last one because you 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 uh, keep track around the league, right? You've watched it. You, you've watched it. You've been there a couple times. What's the deal with Odell and the Browns? Why hasn't <laughs> why why hasn't it worked out? They uh, they might have hired the wrong coach. Uh, they uh, they gave Freddie Kitchens a whole lot of power without a lot of experience and a lot of expectations and there's a lot you know they hired Todd Munkin to run the to be the offensive coordinator and you hear a lot of stuff about you know conflicting ideologies and conflicting ideas there and you know it just has not clicked and and, I mean the offensive line obviously that's a problem all over the place that's something that did not come together for them and, and was a concern going in and and that, that's been an issue. But, uh, yeah, it's just a total system failure there. They have a soft schedule the rest of the way. But I saw you. You, 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 were, you were kind of in the, oh, they might be able to make the playoffs today on NFL. Yeah, but that, was, that was before they lost. Who did they lose to two weeks ago? It was, it was some terrible loss that I didn't expect them to, to have. The so. Broncos. They lost to the Broncos. Yeah, they lost to the Brandon Allen Broncos. So that, that, that <laughs> kind of changed my mind on that. That predict, prediction was kind of based on the notion that they would start winning games kind of then, right, <laughs> with yeah. that game. So losing it hurt. The AFC is going to have, you know, probably a 9-7 and wildcard team. Like, it's not, a, it's not a great field right now. So they get on a roll and run the table, you know, you, you, you kind of like it. But, I don't know, big if. There's just too much talent there and not enough has gone right. And I think it's, um, 
I don't know. I, I, just, I don't know where the turnaround comes from. You just wonder if Gettleman's going to – part of his sales pitch is going to be like, see, I traded Odell. That was the right move. That was the right move here. I, 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 my gut tells me that that's definitely one of his cards. Like, we got Daniel Jones. We got rid of yeah. Odell. We got rid of all the problems. And, and that's, that's going to be his pitch to ownership here. I think it's pretty hard to sell the idea that Odell is the biggest problem the Browns have right now. I think if they could get him the ball, I think when they have gotten him the ball, you've seen the flashes of brilliance. He has but not him not, but him not going off makes yeah. it a little like if he was going off right now, it would make the Giants look really bad, right? They'd look stupid. But well, he's not yeah, going look, off. But you know what? He's not going off in a bad way either. Right? True. He's not making. He's not making it worse. He's not out there complaining. He's not out there ripping people. He's disappointed that they're losing, and you know Odell well. That is the thing that disappoints him the most, is the losing. Right. Uh, and he's done a lot of it, but um, he has not uh, – it hasn't been a, a boat-rocking situation. Like, he's he's rocking the boat with the league like crazy, wearing cleats they don't want him to wear. And, right. and, uh, boat-rocking. I, I see what you did there, Dan. Boat-rocking. I got it. Oh, uh, yeah. I, got I wasn't it. even yeah. thinking that, but I guess that does stick. <laughs> that does stick. Yeah. Well, yeah, we appreciate it, as always. Uh, Dan Graziano, you can catch his work on anywhere. Really, he's on TV all the time now. I mean, he's you know he's trying, being man. sent out to trying. all these big assignments, and I'm trying to pitch the Giants here, and they don't they don't want any part of it considering the state of this organization. But uh, keep keep up the good work, man. We appreciate the time. Anytime, man. All right, we'll do it again soon. Hopefully, under better circumstances. We need to get out of this vicious cycle. You got our take now on the Giants, so now we're going to open the floor. For all your deepest, darkest Giants questions in my favorite segment entitled Giants After Dark. And today we're going to start with a Twitter user whose name I'm not even going to try and say or even go through because it's just a bunch of random letters and numbers. He does have an avatar of Daniel Jones holding a dime, which is I, I do enjoy and I, I think I, I like it. But... His question is, any chance of hiring the Vikings OC, Kevin Stefanski, this offseason? I know we tried to do it last year, but got blocked. Could they do that again? It was actually two years ago where the Giants, I believe, tried to get Stefanski when uh, Pat Shermer came. And they couldn't because he was under contract then. Then last year, he was up for other jobs. He was free. And then, you know, he had better options. And now he went back, and he went back to Minnesota, and he's running their offense, and their offense looks great. So why would Kevin Stefanski now want to come to the Giants? Right? What good would that do for him? He's looking to be get to the next level, right? He First of all, he's calling plays in Minnesota, doing an excellent job with a very good offense. And the next goal to him would sort of be to become a head coach. So why would it benefit him to come to the Giants at this point? Now, for the Giants, they would probably love to. It makes sense. You could have him call the plays. You could have Pat Shermer then worry about game and time management. I just don't know if Kevin Stefanski would want to do it at this point. If I were him, I wouldn't. doesn't seem to make, make a lot of sense. Next question. Elaine Holmes, E.L. Holmes, says, What exactly is Shula's job? She's talking about Mike Shula. If Shermer is calling plays and grooming Jones, wouldn't it benefit Jones to have a dedicated QB coach? Well, actually, I think that's essentially what Mike Shula is. Is Mike Shula is the quarterback's coach plus, right? Like maybe he handles putting together the passing game. Like that's his, his, his primary, one of his primary jobs during the week. He puts together the game plan for the passing game. Shermer's sort of like the offensive coordinator. He oversees everything. But Shula is essentially serving as the quarterback coach mostly. Like that's the coaching he's doing. He's mostly coaching Daniel Jones. As a matter of fact, when we were talking to Mike Shula last week, I believe it was, somebody asked him something about the running game, and I got the impression he's like, you have to ask Saquon. Like I don't, I don't really know or whatever. It gave me the impression he's not even that involved in the run, the the running game. So. I got I, I actually want to look into it and find out. But my gut at that point, after hearing that, was thinking, wow, how Hunter, the offensive line coach, is probably running, you know, in, in his, one of his primary responsibilities is putting together the run game throughout the week. And that's his job. And then, you know, Shula and Shermer oversee that. Now, I don't know that for a fact, but that was, that was my gut telling me of, of how it all came off. 
And uh, so that's part of Shula's job there is probably overseeing that. Johnny Gar, next question is from on Twitter, says, Coach O from LSU is Giants' next coach? Yeah, that would be great because that guy's voice is unbelievable. That was a horrible impression. But if you ever heard this guy, it's like he's gargling. He gets really high, like really just got that, you know, southern drawl. I mean, it's just, just great. It's just great. Now, is he going to be the coach of the Giants? Heck no. But I would love it because, you know, the, the entertainment value of having that guy. I mean, he's so emotional. He so he seems so genuine that it would just be amazing. And, and, you know, he is not shy to express his feelings, which as a reporter, you like that. Mr. C underscore C Breezy asks, name three head coaches you think would be a good fit if Mara lets Shermer go. I haven't. I mean, we, we heard from Dan a couple uh, choices there. I think Matt Eberflus from the uh, Colts, you hear a lot of good things about that. Would That would pique my interest for sure. Uh, but the one guy, like the guy that I think would probably be the favorite if the Giants did decide to move on, would probably be Matt Rule, the Baylor coach. Giants roots, just known as a really good leader, a really good coach. Look what he's doing in Baylor. Look what he did at Temple. He has NFL experience. This guy is very well regarded. I think he's going to be an NFL head coach. He actually came this close to my hands or right next to each other to getting the Jets job. They probably should have hired him. And the way I understood it was that um, Mike McCagnan, the Jets GM at the time, he wanted to get hire Matt Rule. But essentially ownership wanted – and he Matt Rule thought he was basically getting that job. And that was going to go in that direction. That's the way Mike McCagnan was getting. And at the last second, Adam Gase got ownership on board. He had that side. And, you know, when it's ownership or the GM, you know who wins that, right? Always, always the ownership group. Because they, they write the checks. They cut the checks. Okay. We got from Instagram, Peter F 8 He says, Giants have quick receivers. Shep, Ingram, Tate, Slayton, an accurate QB, and Saquon Barkley. How are we not utilizing RPO more often? That's run-pass option. With DJ holding the ball too long and the Giants struggling to run the ball, wouldn't it make sense to run more RPO? And I agree. In a way, it is kind of a little curious. And I was thinking about this, and I was like, why would that be? And the only thing here that I came up with was that in order to run RPO, it's really on the quarterback, right? That's all about the quarterback making the pre-snap read and having to do all this work pre-snap and figuring out, okay, what is the defense doing? They're running man. I'm going to hold, I'm going to pull it and throw. If they're running zone, I'm going to hold it. I mean, I'm going to hand it off and let him run. And I think they believe that Daniel Jones has enough on his plate right now and he's trying to make enough pre-snap reads that this is, this would sort of add to it. So I think they've held off on it a little bit. Now, they've run some, but not a ton. I also think the league has sort of caught up with it a little bit, right? I mean, you saw it two, three years ago. Everybody was doing it, and it was really killing, and it was really working well for people. So, uh, But, yeah, it's a good question. I'm not really positive, but I just gave you my, my best theory. We got Michael Kanick, who emailed me now. This was a long question, um, and it's really based around – Paying Eli Manning $23 million this year being the wrong decision, right, for a team that's, you know, non-contending team that's rebuilding. And then he links in the Golden Tate signing, uh, and he says, so if the best use case in team building is to use free agency to fill gaps on contending teams, why are you so worried about Eli's $23 million? If the Giants had cut Eli last spring, fan reaction aside, what should they have spent that money on? It seems like it would have gone... It's more to signings like Tate because the only way to really get the young talent they need is via the draft. This may cutting Eli for cap reasons or no win scenario for the team. If that's the case, I'd rather pay Eli than save than save Mara money or create a further cap issue by paying more players like Tate for more years than this season. No, see, here's the thing. First of all, the Eli decision and the the, the, the idea to bring him back is so flawed because a it's creating an expectation for this team. We're trying to win. We're trying to make the playoffs. Anybody who looked at their team and looked at their roster, 
They're getting rid of all these good players. They're not bringing in the same caliber players as some of the players that left. Like, this roster was depleted. They weren't going to make the playoffs. There was no reason to bring Eli Manning. And then, to be honest with you, to sign Golden Tate at that point. Right? If anything, you want... And this is where it comes in. Like, a player like Tyrell Williams, okay, who the Oakland Raiders signed. Okay? They they signed Tyrell Williams. A younger player, maybe you hope he can break out with more opportunities in a different situation. He's 27 years old. Players like that, you could sign a whole bunch of players like that to the team. Right? You sign a player like that. You sign an offensive lineman like that. We're not talking about big money players. You're talking about potential you're talking about mid-range players with potential, you know, in their 20s, 26, 20, 25, if you're lucky, 26, 27 years old, who may be in another situation, in a better situation with more opportunity, can flourish and get to that next level as players. And I think that's sort of what you're looking for. And Tyra Williams, by the way, has five touchdown catches for the Oakland Raiders. He's been injured and banged up a little bit, and he's, I believe he's got plantar fasciitis, which doesn't really go away. Uh, so he hasn't really played as you know, what they play eight games. He probably only played five or six, something like that. So, but guys like that, and I think that's what the Giants should have should have done. If I were running the team, which obviously I'm not, and I'm not making the decisions, I think that was the way to go. And it just sent the wrong message. This isn't anything to do with Eli. It almost has nothing to do with him as a player at this point. There was just no reason to bring him back, especially once you drafted Daniel Jones. Like you're much better having Ryan Fitzpatrick. Better off, at least as a you know organization, to have Ryan Fitzpatrick or whatever other quarterback that you know you're bringing in, you're not paying a lot of money, you're bringing him in, you're paying three, four, five million dollars, you're putting him as a starter maybe if you want to wait on Daniel Jones, which they did, and then whenever you want to make that move, it's a move you can make easily, you save the money, and you bulk up in other parts of the team. And that's just the way, and, and, and it also dragged along a situation that just shouldn't, I mean, it was hanging over the team. The whole Eli situation was hanging over the team. He was in decline. The offense wasn't playing well for the last two, three years, and they keep bringing him back. And it's sort of demoralizing to the guys on the team. I mean, look, trust me. They sit there and they tell you, we back Eli, we back Eli. I know behind the scenes there was a lot of guys, and they were like, man, I can't believe we're going back with Eli again. I mean, that's just, the, that's just the reality. That's why Odell ended up in another destination, ultimately. We've talked about that many times. So that's my explanation on that one. It has nothing to do, essentially, with uh, getting more 30-year-old guys. I don't think that, that – that's not what I was in – me or Evan, I believe. I don't want to speak for him exactly, but I'm pretty sure that's not what he was insinuating, getting more 30, 31-year-old guys like uh, Nate Solder and Golden Tate with the money that you then were getting rid of Eli with because that wouldn't be smart. You wanted to get mid-range guys that maybe could develop into something. And if they didn't, you're not committed that much financially to them long-term. You could just cut ties and move on real quick in a year or two. So that would have been ideal in my mind, like more of the Marcus Golden type guys, right? And Marcus Golden worked, right? That was a good, you know, low-risk, high-reward guy. You get four of those guys kind of guys. Two of them work out. Two of them don't. That just that just made more sense for this team at that point. Then they could work on you know tying those guys up and keeping them. Okay, we found the guy we want to keep. Instead, they're paying twenty three million dollars. Not paying, but they have twenty three million against the salary cap, going towards a player who's essentially a backup now. Not getting anything from him. Plus, they already ditched all the other guys, so they had another forty million dead already. Sixty million dead money. It's a third of your salary cap. How can you possibly be good? Impossible. You already have $40 million in dead money, and you're bringing back a 38-year-old quarterback who you're trying to win with at the end of his career. Just conflicting ideas to me. And with that, that's the end of this episode. Actually, not this episode. This segment of Giants After Dark. On to the next one. All right. Let's close this with a little Jordan on the beat. This is where I tell you what it's like to be the beat writer or reporter for the Giants and to really cover the NFL in general and work for ESPN, whatever. And part of the deal is you have to understand with this job comes a lot of scrutiny, okay? You can't really have thin skin because you have thin skin and you're going through and you're reading Twitter or you're you're just out and about. You're going to 
find yourself in trouble. Now, the Giants played the Jets this past week and brought brought this up for me. And it makes me think of the trolls that are out there. And there's a lot of them. Trust me. I mean, some people are like, you're sensitive. You respond to the troll. Like, I, I mean, I joke once in a while. It doesn't really bother me. I don't block. I don't mute anybody. You have to be able to take it. You know, that's part of this deal. That's part of this job. But there's one guy who likes to call me Manish. He showed up at training camp one day. Okay. And he, he tweets me all the time. Manish this, Manish that. Manish, by the way, is Manish Mehta, the Jets reporter columnist for the New York Daily News. And this guy obviously doesn't think very highly of Manish. Well, I'm, by the way, friendly with like Manish. Like him a lot. Helped me out when I first, you know, was trying to get into this business. Always grateful for that. But this guy thinks it's insulting for him to call me Manish. Showed up at training camp one day and started yelling out, calling me Manish. I forget what it was. You know, I see you, Manish. Something along those lines. So, you know, you laugh. It's funny. You can't take these things seriously. He tweets at me all the time. Manish this, you suck this, that, that, you know, whatever. But if you're going to be in this job, you got to be able to take it. And I do. And I actually think it's funny. And I, I brought that up because they played the Jets this week, and it reminded me. I was speaking to Manish, and it reminded me about my Manish follower, my my Manish harasser. He's out there. He's out there. I see you, by the way, if you're listening to this. I appreciate the hate listen. I appreciate all listens. If you're listening to this because you hate my guts, I'll take it. That's fine. I hate follow and hate listen to a lot of people. It's the way of the world. You know we all. We're all like that. We all have that in us. In a way, you listen to something. Or you watch it just because you just want to be like, this guy's an idiot. He's the worst. He stinks. Manish, I know you will think that about me. But if you're listening to this, thank you. Thank you very much. And with that, that's the end of this bi-week episode of Breaking Big Blue. As always, you can reach me on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. Uh, Michael Kanick emailed me before. I'll answer. I try my best to answer everybody. Unless, of course, you're... The Manish harasser and people like that, most of the time I just ignore you. But that's the end of this week's episode of Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ronan. See you next time. <laughs>